Hey, everybody. Welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kirby. You might notice that today's episode is a tad different. I'll explain in just a second. So um, this podcast is crazy because I get a number of opportunities to interview some pretty amazing folks. And you guys get lucky enough to have these conversations with me. And isn't it cool that we just pick up a microphone and we hop on a Zoom call to record some of these fantastic perspectives and everything awesome about the nonprofit world? Well, I think it's even cooler because uh, randomly I'll get asked uh, to do a podcast or I'll, I'll host somebody on ours. And then we become like buddies and it's pretty cool. So uh, long story short, uh, our friend Ria Wong, you might remember her from a previous episode. She's brilliant. She's uh, out on the East Coast. She is a, a fundraising guru. She's got a wonderful background and wonderful perspective. She and I kind of have the same brain wavelength when it comes to stuff about nonprofits. Anywho, she, uh, she just recently wrote a book called Get That Money, Honey, which is an amazing title, by the way. Uh, and then she was looking to promote her book on her podcast, but uh, thought it weird to uh, just promote her own book on her own podcast. So she reached out and asked if I would do the interview of her on her podcast. Yeah, I got to guest host on another person's podcast because you, dear listeners, uh, just made it happen. Because you listen and we kept doing this and uh, we befriended super cool people. And Rhea gave me the opportunity to host her show. She's literally like in the top five uh, podcasts on iTunes and, and Stitcher and Spotify. Like she's amazing. So uh, what you're about to hear is the recorded podcast that I got to guest host on her podcast about and with Rhea Wong. I, it, it'll make sense. I hope you listen to it. Fabulous information, as always, uh, with a conversation with her. Uh, but more importantly, um, you get to kind of see the you know official do good better uh, on another platform, which is kind of awesome as well. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, um, and I hope you go out and uh, buy Ria's book. She's amazing. The book's amazing. You're amazing for being a listener. And uh, hey, enjoy this kind of super cool, outside-of-the-box version of the official Do Good Better podcast. Hey, did you just have a meeting with a donor and they told you something really, really important and you have no place to put it except for like maybe an Excel spreadsheet or, a, I don't know, a random piece of paper in your office? Go to DonorDoc.com. Get a CRM system that works. Get a donor database system that works. Get something that gives you beautiful reports and beautiful dashboards that even your crankiest board member will love. Go to DonorDoc.com. Use the code word do good better at checkout and get a month free. DonorDoc.com. Choosing a partner to help you achieve success in your business or personal finances is a big decision. You need a devoted advisor who's experienced and attentive and invested in helping you accomplish your goals. Hey, you know what that sounds like? Brady Martz. Brady Martz knows that you've got a lot of options to choose from, but we're confident that Brady Martz is the right accounting firm for you. they got more than a half a century of experience making everyday count through tax, accounting, audit, and business advisory services. So... Contact Brady Martz to learn more about their unique solutions that they can provide you and your nonprofit. Your organization is awesome. 
but sometimes you want to be even awesomer. It's time to get your fundraising on with your host, fundraising expert and author, Patrick Kirby. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Nonprofit Lowdown. I'm your host, Patrick Kirby. And yet, this is not a, a bit or anything. I get to actually guest host today on the podcast. Here's a little bit of uh, fun facts. Uh, number one, if you get the opportunity to host a podcast in which you hold up on the Mount Rushmore of brains in the nonprofit fundraising world, you take it, right? That's number one. Number two, um, then you get to ask questions of somebody that you really, really like and uh, who kind of took you under your wing before you got on the, your own podcast things, right? So that's kind of where I was. And I interviewed uh, Rhea and all of a sudden she said, yeah, I'll be on your podcast. And that kind of blew my mind. Uh, and number three, um, I just get to ask really cool questions for really cool people. And that's what we're going to do today. So here's the thing. Uh, the guest today on the Nonprofit Lowdown is Rhea, but I get to do the interviewing and I'm super excited about controlling the power here uh, for questions. And this is great. Uh, Rhea, welcome to your own podcast, uh, the Nonprofit Lowdown. So glad to have you with us. Patrick, such a pleasure. I have to tell you, it's a little bit like uh, handing the keys over to the Cadillac. It's a little nerve wracking, but be a good driver. I, I trust you. I trust you. <laughs> I will buckle up. I'm going to put my seats in, uh, in the appropriate uh, position and we're going to get rocking. So I have to start off this. And again, this is not scripted. You and I have not chatted in a couple of weeks. Um, you are one of, and I'm not being honest with you. I'm, you're one of my favorite humans to talk about fundraising with. Um, because you have this incredible uh, ability to take super complicated, what should be, shouldn't be super complicated, but ends up being super complicated ideas about fundraising and simplifying it to the fact of like, just get your crap done this way. I appreciate that more than, you know, uh, because I try to emulate that sort of concept when I talk and when I, and when I speak and when I do my own podcast stuff. And you're kind of that uh, little inspiration nugget that I got from this because you were uh, so generous in being a guest on mine early on in the uh, little process. Oh, that, you know what, Patrick, that means a lot to me because I also think of you as one of the finest fundraising minds. So it's a little bit of a mutual admiration society, but uh, you know, I, I like to keep it simple. You know what I mean? Life is yeah. hard enough. Life is complicated enough. It's complex enough. Let's just keep it real simple. So I appreciate that. And actually I'm glad that you're, running the show today because I was thinking that it was weird for me to talk about myself and my book without another person on the other end. And I was like, who's the funnest person I know? Patrick Kirby. So I here we it. are. Uh, so I'm, I, again, I don't think in the last number of episodes that you have done that you've really paused and sort of given the who on earth you are and what backstory you have come from bit. And I think it's so important to those who have listened to you for a regular, or like a regular basis. Everybody downloads you every week and listens to you. I don't think they have taken the time to sort of get your background as much as they probably should, because your perspective is built from what you've done as an executive director in the past. And so maybe you can give this little high 5,000 foot view on who you are, where you came from in the nonprofit world before we get into book stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. Um, you know, I definitely kind of sprinkle in nuggets and tidbits when I talk. Sprinkle. Little sprinkles of, of Rhea. But uh, yeah, let me let me tell you the full story. So I grew up, I I was born. I grew up. I, I I'm a native San Franciscan. <laughs> I 
became an executive director here in New York City at the age of 26, which in retrospect seems crazy. Like who would hire a 26-year-old to be an ED? But of course, at the time I was like, I'm smart. I can figure it out, right? Because when you're 26, you know everything, right? (laughs) And I talk about this a lot. I was, so it was an organization that I ran for 12 years. It was then called Summerbridge, now called Breakthrough New York. And I uh, and I was actually sort of the poster child in many ways because I had been a student in the program as a middle school kid. I taught in the program as a high school and college kid. Mm-hmm. I worked in the national office uh, right after college doing recruitment, and then I became an ED at 26. And so, really, in in many ways, it was kind of the only organization I'd known. I'd grown up in it, and anyway, so. I started, they handed me the keys, they gave me my email address, and they said, good luck. We were at a $250,000 budget at the time. Didn't know a thing, right? So I did two Google searches that first day. One was, what does an executive director do? (laughs) And two was, how do you fundraise? And so it was really that point that I was like, okay, I got to figure it out. I then decided to essentially create my own MBA program. So I was like, I can't afford to go to a fancy MBA program. All these kids are counting on me to figure this out. So I just, I read everything. I took every seminar. I asked every question. I went to people who I thought knew more than me, asked questions. I mean, one of the apocryphal stories is I I went to see Rich Berlin for those in New York, you know, Rich, but he's a, at the time was, is still actually the CEO of an organization here in New York, very successful. And he tells me the story of like, I'm just like this little baby ED. I don't know what I'm doing. And he goes, Rhea, the hardest thing in the world is to raise a budget under a million. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what that means. (laughs) It has no relation to anything I I know. Uh, Suffice it to say that Rich was right. (sighs) He'll love hearing that, but he was right. Uh, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't know anything. And so, you know, I figured it out. So when I left 12 and a half years later, we had like 10 X, the number of kids that we served, we increased our locations to three. Um, and our budget was a little bit under 3 million in private funds. And I was like, okay, cool. That was a ride. But why did it take me 12 years to figure that out? That's ridiculous. So I constructed my fundraising accelerator and wrote this book for the 26-year-old me that was super clueless. And I'm not saying that my readers are clueless, but I'm, I'm saying that I'm trying to save you years of trial and error because so many people fall into fundraising, right? Like it's such a common tale of like, oh, I just started, like, started doing it and fell into it. But I mean, it's so wild to me. And Patrick, I know you would agree that we give people these jobs and they're big jobs and they are about solving the most intractable social problems that we have. And we don't train people how to do their job. Like what? You wouldn't go to a doctor who hasn't gone to med school. You wouldn't go to a lawyer who hasn't gone to law school. Why are we hiring executive directors and development directors who haven't been trained in how to raise money? It's insanity. Well, it's even it's even crazier than that, too, where it's they're they're the expectations, even though it's not part of your original job description, and now you're giving that and you're layering on. I, I love that that term. We've always used this accidental fundraiser, right? You start yeah. out as a marketing person, you start out, or you or you develop the program, and you you started your nonprofit, and you're like, oh, this is going to be great. All of a sudden, you get too big, and now you got to fundraise. Whoops, where do you go? Right, and that's exactly no right. explanation for the whole thing. I think that's so uh, that's so crazy, and I love your perspective on it as, Hey, what would I love to know as a 26 year old who's first starting? And, and it's not, not knowing about anything. It's how do you practically guide yourself 
through the crazy 10,000 things we have to do every single day and concentrate on the real stuff that is needed, which is this building relationships, fundraising, the, the tactics that work. And that's where I think your zone of genius is, is like, oh yeah, all this distraction is here, but this is what you really need to do. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you, and Patrick, I, I know you probably have a similar story, which is when I stepped out of the nonprofit world and into the world of entrepreneurship, this entire world opened up around, you know, theories about marketing and email campaigns and acquisition rates and like all this stuff that I was like, wait a second, this is all fundraising, but how come it's not, why don't we know about this stuff? It was just like this curtain got pulled back and I was like, okay, so here's, here's the plan. I'm going to take all the stuff I'm learning in the for-profit world about how to launch a business. I'm going to rejigger it and put it in a nonprofit context because I don't understand why we don't have access to this kind of information. And the information that we did have coming up Maybe it's different now, but it was also theoretical. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this, right? Like we can talk. It it was very like high level, big picture. But when it comes right down to it, I'm like, tell me what to do tomorrow. What is the email template I need to send? I can't like, I don't have time to like talk about this theory of change of what my board should look like. I need to know what to say when my board says this tomorrow. Yes. That see that I think everybody listening because this is what you're going to get in the book right away, right? So this is this is what this is where Reese Brain goes is I don't need to philosophically discuss the merits of why I should be working in fundraising. How in the hell do I get the dollars raised and do the things I need to do to get the money in? Period. Right. That's it. That's your, that is the brilliance of this. And so you crazily, by the way, decide to write a book about it. Um, There's, 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 um, there's levels of crazy, right? So (laughs) there's the, I'm going to fund, I'm going to start and be an ED at 26 and not know anything about being an ED crazy. Then there is a, I think I'm going to take everything I learned about it and put it into written form in a book crazy. How, how, and why a book, right? Why a book? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a really good compliment to my fundraising accelerator. So I have a fundraising accelerator, which runs a couple times a year, which is really meant for executive directors and development directors. And we go it, like really in depth in a lot of these concepts that I cover in the book, but also recognizing that, you know, I'm, I'm sort of bottlenecked, right? Like there are only so many people that I can have in my program. And frankly, there are only so many people who could really afford my program. And yet this is information that I think everybody needs to have. And it was all of the information that kept coming up as questions. And I was like, why don't I just write it down once (laughs) and then put it in a book which you can buy for $15, like so everybody can afford it and go and do good in the world. Because at the end of the day, I don't believe in competition, right? Because at the end of the day, we're all just trying to do good stuff in the world. We're all just trying to improve the world in some kind of way. Mm -hmm. And so if you sign up for my course, like I will help you, but if you can't afford the course and you can afford $15, I can still help you. And so for me, it was really about how do I scale up the amount of support that I can offer to the world? Because at the end of the day, I mean, I'm one person, I care a lot about a lot of things, right? I care about oceans and conservation and education and voting rights and reproductive rights and X, Y, and Z. Like I care a lot about 
all the things, but I can't do all the things. I'm one person, but what I can do is support the people who are doing all the things. So for me, it's, it's kind of a, an indirect approach to supporting the, the good that I want to see in the world. I think, and before we'll go into the book, because I, I need to know, uh, kind of, let's talk about what's inside it. But I think when people are looking at projects that they have at their own nonprofit, right, they're looking at big, hairy, audacious goals, and they're looking at sort of doing the project. And I'd love to kind of get your mental notes on what it was like to write the book the same way that you would like, hey, somebody's got a big, giant grant coming up, and they've got a lot of writing to do. How do you, how did you write it? What was your process like? Because we're all told as entrepreneurs, enjoy the process. Process <laughs> is great and fun, even though it's the most frustrating thing in the world. And the same thing with fundraisers. I think enjoy the process of the raise. It's it's way more fun than getting the big giant check presented to you. No, it's not. But it's necessary. Yeah. And it's and it's hard work. And I think getting into your mindset of what you did to to really churn this out, I think would be a really fun insight for those who are going to get all this information because knowing how you pieced it together is going to be a really good connector to people's sort of fundraising brain. So how did you yeah. do that? Yeah. So, okay. So a couple of different things and, and I, you're going to hear it here first, but um, I oh, worked very exclusive closely on the, exclusive. on the yeah. lowdown. I, this here, is great. Here you go. I actually worked with a collaborator. So Isabella Masucci, who actually was my student back in the day. So it's a really nice sort of full circle moment. She was trying to get her start as a writer. And I said, well, look, here's the thing. I have all this content. You know, I produce tons of content through my blogs, through my podcast, through my teaching, go through and just shape it up into chapters that, that I can then read through. So it was a really collaborative process. And you know what? I'm going to give her a lot of the credit for doing the heavy lifting of just going through all of my stuff because it's all stuff I'd written, right? And what was fun is because she knew me so well, she knew my voice, but the actual practice of like getting it down on paper, all credit goes to Bella. So, uh, so I guess in a sense, I wrote it because it was based on content and things that I'd already said, but you know what? There's no shame in, in getting some help. Like I, did not have the discipline or the time really. I mean, Patrick, you and I talk a little bit about being like professionally ADD. Yeah. Like I yeah. just, I have so many things going on. I needed someone to help me kind of just wrangle the beast. And then, and then it was a, a long process of editing and going back and forth. And that was sort of painstaking. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the thing that I would say is if you, if you've got something to do, just sit down and do it, right? Because I think we create so much mind drama about it, like yeah. about the grant and the thing. And it's like the amount of energy you expend on procrastinating, you could actually just get it done in bite-sized chunks. And so Bella and I just went chapter by chapter <laughs> and you we went through it. Yeah. I love, here's, I love this for two reasons. Number one, you, you do what you preach, which is if you don't know what you don't know, Find somebody who is uh, a helper or an expert or somebody and then get them into your circle. Mm -hmm. The same way that if you're an executive director, if you're a fundraising director, if you're a nonprofit leader, you don't know everything. So you find an accelerator program like Rhea's putting together. You find something that is going to help you as a coach or somebody to come along with you because we don't know everything. And so I love that you're putting the practice and your element of what you're doing every day sort of coaching through some of these nonprofit leaders and grabbing somebody who's gone through the program who understands your voice to get the help that you need to make that happen. That is a brilliant way to do it. And when people are thinking about their long projects, who do you need to hire? 
who do you need to get in the in the involved who do you need to get as a volunteer or as some sort of partner to help you get the project done it is lonely and dangerous to do this on your own and i so appreciate that as as a backdrop to this it's brilliant thank you well you know i think it's funny because i think people are sometimes ashamed of, of saying that they used a collaborator or a ghostwriter or whatever it is but you know for me it's like look i i could have written it myself sure if I had, though, we still wouldn't have a book, right? And mm-hmm. sometimes I think good is better than perfect, right? Yes. Done is better than perfect. Oh. So just get it out because what's more important that these ideas get out into the world and help people or that I'm sitting there painstakingly pouring over every line and every word? Yeah, like it's not that important. What's more important is can I help people as quickly as possible? Think about that as your own nonprofit leader when you're reading when you're reading this book and when you're listening to this podcast and you're listening to sort of Ria's writings and you're listening and you're reading her blog that it better you cannot be perfect nobody's perfect there's always a room for improvement you can be working on that planning the plan the plan the plan forever forever and executing it is really the key if you can do it you'll learn on the fly that's right. right. The same way that you learn on the fly at 26 is the same way that everybody else is coming into the accelerator or reading the book is learning on the fly, right? They're going to take this as a framework to go, I can use this piece and this yep. paragraph yep. and this was what I'm doing for their own good. But you have to do it and you trust right. the process. You don't need to pr- trust perfection because that'll never get anything. It'll else. never get. Well, and the thing about perfection is I, it's really based in fear, right? Because there are yeah. definitely, there's a part of me and, I, and I'd be curious if this is the same for you with your book, which is like, oh my God, I'm going to write it. And what if people read it and they're going to say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're a fraud. You're an imposter, mm. whatever it may be. I mean, and people are always going to have opinions about you, but the perfectionist charity, right? There's no such thing as perfect. And, and the idea of perfection, I think, paralyzes us. So whether it's writing a book or going on a fundraising ask or sending that email or writing that grant, get over perfect, just get it done. Yes. I'll, well, here's the other thing too. And I, this is I can, where you kind of allude to is the comparison is a thief of joy, right? If, uh, if you write something or you make a grant and you don't get the million dollars, but you get a half a million dollars, are you really going to be upset? You have that as a, as a, as a nonprofit leader, like, well, I should have gotten a million. And you don't mm-hmm. take the perspective of like, you just got a half a million right. or you just got a hundred thousand dollars, but you didn't have before. And you put all this effort into it, but you're looking to others of like, well, that person sold a million books. That person is not you. That person's Tony right. Robbins. And that person has built a cult of personality for 40 years and you haven't like, right. it's impossible to do. And I love that connection between, you know, uh, your, your book writing and other people who are writing grants or doing asks and making those big things. It's the same mindset out of fear. And you need to think about it from an, uh, from a mindset of abundance. And that's why you're giving all of this information away that you have acquired over the last X amount of years at, you know, for 15 bucks. Um, that's an amazing sort of thing that people get to read your brain yeah. and, and read what you've been collectively or collectively doing for the last number of years. It's, a, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I mean, it's, I just, okay, so you said a couple of things that I want to unpack here, which is number one, I really don't believe that uh, that ideas or value or helping people has a limit, right? So to me, like I know people kind of get, you know, territorial about their ideas, but, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And, you know, frankly, in my book, I quote a lot of people that I have learned from. So it's, you know, we're all learning from each other. 
So I think that's thing one. And then thing two is, um, oh, you said something that I, uh, oh, thing two is, you know what I really encourage people to do? Take a benchmark, right? Because so often we are always focused on like, well, someone else did better. Someone else got more money. Someone else had got more press, et cetera, et cetera. Instead, why don't you just take a snapshot right now of where you are, right? Whatever your ROI is, whatever your metrics might be, you know, money in the bank, number of funders, number of media mentions, number of social media followers, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. Write it down, put it in an envelope, say, do not open until this time next year, right? And then when you open it, see how far you've come. Because I think as humans, we're not very good at keeping track of what's happening. And so it's constantly thinking about like, what haven't I done versus what have I done? Mm. And I think when you get in the trap of what I what haven't I done is when you really get to burn out. And you know what? I'll speak from experience. I burnt out, right? Because even when I was at $3 million a year, I was still freaking out about like, well, it's not 5 million, as opposed to thinking back, like, actually, I started at 250K a year. So really, right. that is a considerable growth. And so I think part of the culture of nonprofits is that we often don't spend the time to celebrate the wins. Yeah. And I think that, I think you saying that out loud, I think helps a lot of people go, oh, it's not just me. And I mm-hmm. think that's really where um, it, it, nonprofit fundraisers do this a lot is that they don't have the ability to find their own special little group that they get to talk a little bit honestly about mm-hmm. how they're feeling and what they're doing because they are fearful of somebody else in the nonprofit world. I Oddly, uh, there's going to be like, well, they don't even do this or they don't raise this amount of money. Nobody cares. They're concentrating on their own stuff and they've got their own issues too. Everybody has those feelings. And if you can just get around them and say, listen. I now know where I came from and where I am now and where I'm going to go. I've got a game plan. I'm following this uh, delightful book and this framework that I'm building from Rhea. But however they want to do it, like that's that's really, really, really important, which leads me to. Wait, wait, can I say one last thing? Yeah, please. So, funny you should mention Tony Robbins. I just rewatched I Am Not Your Guru on Netflix, which if you yes. haven't watched it is great. But he, he says a lot of really smart things. But one of the things he says that I was like, mind blow was your problem is that you think you shouldn't have any problems. And I was like, right. That's it. Everybody has problems. Every nonprofit has problems. There's not a single nonprofit I've ever heard of that doesn't have some kind of problem, right? And so if you just accept that you're going to have problems <laughs> and it's just a different flavor of problem, then I think you get a lot more sort of peace of mind that like, oh, I'm normal. This is this is like yeah. normal, healthy stuff that's happening as opposed to, oh my God, there's something wrong with me. It's like, it's like every time I get a headache, I go to WebMD and it's like a brain tumor, right? Like, don't do that. It's not a, it's most likely not a brain tumor. I guess in some cases it might be a brain tumor, but it's, you probably just need to drink some water. Like that's yes. probably the issue. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I love um, uh, hearing a nonprofit talk about, you know, sort of like I have this issue and this issue. This issue. And then I love selling them. I go, listen, I have some bad news. You're not special because everybody's got those issues. And it, there's a sense of relief that waves over them They're going, oh, okay, well, now what do I start to do to kind of fix that? Or where do I go from here? Now I acknowledge that it's not a big deal. We can go and move on. I just need a game plan, which I'm guessing one can find in a book that you've written. So we need to talk about that right now. So, um, I get a book. I, I go to your website. I buy your book. I open it up in page one. What's the, what is the feel? What am I at the end of my book, right? I start on page one and I end on page X amount of whatever. 
what is the feeling that I'm going to get after I'm done reading your book? Yeah. So, so a couple things, it's like, oh, I'm not alone. <laughs> this is all perfectly normal. And number two, I know what to do about it. So I think, I don't know if it's a nonprofit thing or if it's just a human thing, but we tend to fixate on the things that are not going right as opposed to fixating on the things that are going right, right? So I will spend all kinds of time and energy wringing my hand over the five board members who are not returning my phone calls, as opposed to looking at the five that are and willing to do stuff and going, you know, I like to say, take the best, leave the rest, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I think we have this tendency to like catastrophize everything. Like none of my, none of my grantees or like <laughs> foundation people are calling me back. None of my donors want to donate. I'm like, none of, okay. Can we unpack that? Like, what does that actually mean? We don't know any rich people. Okay. Well, what do you mean by rich? Like what, what, how much money are you trying to make? Um, you know, like all of my staff members are this, right? It's almost like, I mean, you know, Patrick, when they say that you're uh, married, you should never be right. like, you never or you always, right? <laughs> Having PTSD oh. from, you know, yes, I got it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, right. So so I think part of it is just like taking a beat and actually like getting inside the emotion of the thing. Because I think so often, especially because nonprofits usually are fueled by passion and emotion, we, we tend to get so emotionally enmeshed in it and so personal we take it so personally like if someone says no to us it's like oh my god it means that i am somehow less than and a terrible person it's like no they're just saying that this was not their thing it's okay there are lots of people in the world and i think you you hit on this as well abundance mindset right yeah. i think in the nonprofit world we're so we're so messed up about scarcity that we think this is the last donor in the whole wide world who's ever going to talk to us. And if I don't nail this meeting with all of my fancy PowerPoints and metrics, I'm never going to get another chance, right? It's like, okay, calm down. Like, let's just take it, take a breath here. First of all, there are lots of people in the world. There are lots of people with lots of money in the world. There are lots of people with lots of money in the world, some of whom will be interested in the thing that you do, some of whom will not, right? The thing that uh, I remember once when I was in ED is that, you know, <laughs> Every ED has a story like this, but well, you know, if every person in New York City just gave us one dollar, we wouldn't have to fundraise. And I was like, okay, do you know every single person in New York City? No, then that that is not a helpful statement to make. Or why don't we just call Oprah slash Jeff Bezos slash Elon Musk, right? Fill in the the wealthy person. And and so I think we tend to be very grandiose about our ideas because we're so anxious about fundraising and it becomes this weird zero sum game where we're all wrapped up in emotion as opposed to like, it's just a math problem. If I go out there and I make X number of asks and I know my conversion rate is 30%, then I know what the math is or whatever your conversion rate is. Mm -hmm. It's and it, it ain't personal. Does, does the mathematics about that, I think, bother people because I, you know, in the nonprofit world where we're people, people, not sort of analytic math monsters that we, you know, could we get into this because we want everybody to feel good. And then when you talk about, um, you know, your conversion rate or ROI or that kind of stuff for the person who is an outward high eye on the disc score, doesn't really like compliance of any sort of way. You're a storyteller, you're an emotional connector. When you get down to like, here's the, here's the problem and here's how you solve it. Even mathematically, how do you get out of your own headspace to go? If I embrace this, I can get here and then I don't have to worry about everything else. Is that, is, yeah. that a, is that a problem in the nonprofit world? You know, it's actually funny. In my experience, people actually 
think of this as relieving. Like it's a relief to them yes. to be like, oh, yeah. oh, it's yeah. math. Like, oh, there are numbers here because without numbers, it just feels like this magic trick, right? Like this alchemy yeah. of like, there's a, there's a curtain and a wizard and like some magical thing happens and I don't know how to do it. Right. As opposed to being like, okay, look, here's the spreadsheet. <laughs> there's a thing called a funnel at the yeah. top of the funnel. We have people and it's a higher number of people than the number of people who ultimately donate. But what you do is you move people through this funnel and over time it's supposed to get smaller, right? Like not everybody is going to want to give, but you have to start with a big enough number so that when you get to the bottom of the funnel, you have enough donors. And I just think breaking it down in a really sort of unemotional, clinical, analytical way is actually really helpful to people because they see the path forward. Like, oh, it's not just like this magical trick that Rhea pulls out of nowhere. Because I, I do think the other thing is we think that you have to be like some kind of special person. Like there's some yeah. kind of special magic glitter dust you sprinkle yeah. around, right? Yeah. Everything is learnable. Everything is figure outable. You just need to know what the strategy is and then you can figure it out. If you don't have a strategy for it too, then it becomes never ending, right? Mm -hmm. It becomes, there's a never ending goal you have. The money is never ending. Mm -hmm. If you put a number to it, you can get an end game. Right. Mm -hmm. I have to raise $100,000 to do X, Y, and Z. This is how many donors I need to talk with. This is how much they need to donate. This is how much this is the pyramid that we put together, blah, blah, blah. That thing is done. Now we can move on. Right. And I think those little wins along the way, those, those road markers on how we're doing, that's all part of a plan that you can do that is happens to be an equation or whatever. And that's a lot less scary and overwhelming as an executive director, as a fundraising director, is because you can now. I got here, now I can move on. And then when you look back, exactly what you said earlier is like, where do you benchmark or take a snapshot of where you are? Now you can look back and I go, I've gotten that and that and that. Mm -hmm. and that. Mm -hmm. Now you like, okay, well, how, how did I come up with that? Well, it was the process that we yeah. put together. That yeah, was, yeah, yeah. We're scared about with math. Yeah. Well, and it's so funny. Like I talk to a lot of people, as I'm sure you do, and you'd be surprised at how many people have never seen uh, a gift chart. Right. Like I show them the gift chart and they're like, oh, my God, you're like, this is that I feel like this is sort of fundraising one on one. Like, why does everyone not know about this? Right. And it's yeah. super basic. But it, as you were talking, it sort of reminded me of, you know, like in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> it's like <laughs> if Dorothy landed in Munchkin land and there was no yellow brick road, she'd be super confused. She'd be like, all right, right. I guess I'm hanging out in Munchkin land and I hope I get home. Also, right. hope is not a strategy. Right. But but by laying out a yellow brick road, they're like, here's the direction. And there are scary things. Like there are like flying monkeys who are going to come at you, right? But there is a path. And I think it's when people feel trapped, it's when they feel burnt out. When they feel like there's no hope, that there's no path, that there's no plan forward is when people burn out, right? So, so what I'm providing them is there's a path. And I'm not saying it's easy, right? I'm not saying it's not scary sometimes, but there is a way forward. In fact, there are probably many ways. There are many ways forward, but this is one way forward. And I think just, uh, I really see myself as kind of the, the Yoda here. Like I'm, I'm just a guide here to help you to achieve what you want to achieve to change the world. Now, this is, there's not a lot of people who can make a Wizard of Oz and a Star Wars reference within the same paragraph and that you've done brilliantly that you can now relate to old school and new school and like super nerds right. at the same time. That's brilliant. Right? I, super nerds are really my fan base. So, so I'm, yeah, I'm yes, glad. I like that. Uh, um, when you were writing this book, mm -hmm. was there, 
I mean, I find I do this too, where I look back on what I've written in the last couple of years and I kind of will take little pieces from it that I'm like, wow, that was really, that was a smart thing I said. I should, I should do that. I should say that more often. Was there an aha moment or a piece of advice that you wrote about or that you didn't think was relevant as what relevant then as it was now that like bled open that you read this book and you're like, Oh, that, that was awesome. I should have doubled down on that three years ago when I wrote it. Or was there a moment where you wrote something and you're like, that was, that was pretty good. That's yeah. Pretty good you, right? uh, it's okay to brag because we're talking about it. It's not your podcast today. Yeah. Host, so this is totally okay. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I, um, there were definitely moments that I read the book and I was like, oh yeah, that's good. Why didn't I do that as a 26 year old? <laughs> You know, so I don't know that there was anything that was so earth shattering, mind blowing. I was like, damn, Rhea. Um, But it was definitely it was almost like I forgot what I knew Mm. until I saw it on the written page. I was like, oh, right. Yes, I did know that I did. And I learned it the hard way. Right. So a lot of what you'll read are hard lessons learned about stuff that I screwed up. So I like to tell my students, I, I made the mistake so you don't have to go make new different mistakes. Don't make Mm -hmm. the same mistakes. The same mistakes are boring. Mm -hmm. And actually what's interesting is even now, I mean, I finished the book a couple months ago and even now I'm already thinking about updates because I've learned stuff since I wrote the book. I mean, one of my values is constant learning and, you know, the new shiny. So I'm always just thinking about like, what are the sort of best learnings I can bring to people to help them? I like that. Was there any point in time when you're writing the book that, um, that you had a doubt about the book itself of being value. I, I know that you go through this process and right. It takes a little while to put together and you're proofing it and you're editing and you're having it's like, Hey, this is kind of how I would see it. And you're like, ah, maybe this is not the right thing for me because uh, you know, when nonprofit leaders are halfway down a campaign and, and maybe it's not going as quickly as they wanted to, there's that moment where they kind of have this, I, maybe this is just not a thing for me. So was there a moment where you decided that that wasn't kind of a cool thing anymore? And then how did you push through that? The same way that I think our nonprofit brethren look at projects and programs and fundraising goals and go, I'm never going to get this thing done. Yeah. You know, I have to say, I actually think I was lucky in that regard because all of this content was road tested with my group coaching program, right? So all of the things that I am presenting in the book, I've already run by live humans, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I knew it was a value. I, you know, I got the revisions, I got their feedback about what worked and what didn't work. So, so in that sense, I don't think there was a question in my mind of like, is this a value? Is this helpful? Yeah. More of the question was, uh, is, is it worth it? Right. Cause yeah. halfway through the revision process, like, Oh my God, this is so painful. Right. Oh, PS. I also did an audio book. That was Ooh. That was a long and, and tedious. Did you process. record it? Your, did you record it yourself? I did, right here in my very own bathroom. So you'll get to hear my voice. Uh, and the other piece of it was, uh, I mean, this is like every writer's nightmare. It's like, if I put this out in the world, what if nobody cares? Mm. Right. right, right, right. That that see that's a that's a real thing. And I know you and I talked about this on a couple of occasions uh, prior to you writing it. And that's always a constant fear. And I think it's a constant fear of all the nonprofits where they're going to go and give a talk in front of the group that what if nobody cares as much as I do, or what if I'm going into a donor, like you mentioned, like what if I'm going into a donor and I put this awesome pitch together and they say, no, mm-hmm. I don't think it, I don't think 
And this goes back, I think, to the abundance mindset where it it doesn't mean that you didn't make an impact or a difference. Um, it doesn't mean that you're, uh, what you did was um, you fail miserably. You're just getting into the right uh, people. I've always found interesting too, and maybe you do this, where people will listen to your podcast or read your stuff, not comment, but then months later, like, hey, you know what I really liked is that this episode or this writing piece, you're like, hey, you jerk, you should have liked it. So I felt like internally yeah, valid- yeah. validated that you, you were reading this. And and to nonprofit readers uh, or nonprofit listeners, the what you do and what you um, talk about and how you present things, people are, are paying attention and they are appreciating it. Not maybe for, I'm going to give you a million dollars worth of appreciating it, but they're appreciating it. And you're doing the things that not a lot of other people do. Yeah. Right. You, you as a, as a writer, Rhea, like there's people could write a book, right. But most people don't. Right. And so what you, what you've done is something that not a lot of people have ever done. That's well, incredible. I, I will tell you, Patrick, you actually were an inspiration to me. So this is a, a moment where, you know, when you and I first met, we were, we did the pod. You sent me your book, which is great, by the way. It's sitting on my bookshelf. And I was like, man, Patrick Kirby wrote a book. I could do that, too. Yes. Yes. So it, so you were a, a true inspiration to me oh. to actually just get off my duff and get it done. But the other thing I wanted to say to you, and I think this relates to fundraising, is getting to ask out is the win. Writing the book is the win, right? So like you have no control at the end of the day, whether someone funds you or not. You have no control over whether someone buys your book or reads your book or likes your book at the end of the day, beyond your control. But what is within your control is like, did you attempt, right? Did you swing? And like, maybe you missed, but you swung. You you got on the mound and you swung. And I think so often we we get so caught up in the outcome that we forget that it actually takes a lot of courage to get to the point where you could take a swing. When somebody finishes their book, and we started out with this question too, which is like, what are they supposed to feel like? What, what do you want a person who, who reads the book, right? Get that money, honey. I don't think we mentioned the book title, which is a great book title, by the way. I, you know, I don't get green with envy a lot, but like, that's a great book title. (laughs) Um, it's just great. The, or the, the, the subtitle, the no BS guide for raising more money for your nonprofit. Brilliant. I love it. But when somebody gets done reading the book and they close it, what's the first thing that you want, or you hope that they feel or that they do? Yeah. Uh, you know what? My dream is that you read the book and you go back to your organization. You're like, cool. I'm going to try these three new things, mm. right? I'm going to take a fresh look at my website. I'm going to call my donors and ask, because I think the other thing is we're so afraid of our donors, right? Like, we don't want to bother them. We don't want to bug them, but you don't know them for the most part, right? Pick up the phone. They're, they already like you. They already gave you money. Don't be scared. Don't be scared of funders. Don't be scared of your donors. So if I can get people reading the book to do at least one or two things differently that will help them to raise more money, then I will consider it a success. Because I think, look, at the end of the day, we're all busy, right? And we all read all the books, right? You know, I'm sure you and I, between us, have like the entire self-help section of a bookstore filled out. But the point is, do something with it. Like it doesn't do you any good to just know it. You have to put it in action. And so that is my hope is that this book will at least spark you to take some kind of positive action to move forward in some small way. 
Ria, I'm so glad that you were able to be a guest on the Nonprofit Lowdown podcast. I <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. You, uh, appreciate you letting me uh, be a, a guest uh, host on the show. And again, with a podcast that you just need to listen to. And it's just such a wonderful thing to see. Um, I'm, I always kind of track, you know, I do the comparison as a Thief of Joy bit, but I'm always trying to compare myself. Like, who's who are the people that I'm trying to um, be in their, their circle of just like a general influence. And I love seeing where you are and where you're going with a lot of these things. And I think a lot of people who are listening to this podcast are going to want, well, this is great. I want that money, honey too. Where on earth do I get this book and how do I reserve a copy that's coming out very soon? Yes. So it's dropping like it's hot on March 24th and you can get it on, well, right now it's on Amazon. I'm going to try to get it on some indie booksellers because I'm about that life. But yeah, March 24th, March 24th is the date. And actually, Patrick, if you happen to be in New York City, you can come to the book launch party. I, I, I Listen, if I had that in my calendar, you know for sure I would be there. Uh, Rhea, thank you, first of all, I think for your constant um, positivity in the nonprofit realm and lifting up other executive directors and leaders and fundraisers by giving them just a sense that they can do it. That's, mm-hmm. I think, number one, I, I love listening to you and I love reading uh, about what you write about, basically because you're giving people permission to be awesome and to do good. That's just number one. Number two, thanks for writing a book. Uh, I just love knowing people in my world who've written a book and like, I just, I'm so proud of you, honestly, as a, as a person and as just a person and who's leading in the nonprofit world, I'm so proud of you for doing it. You do it. You said you were going to do it. You did it. it. Awesome. Uh, also thanks you so much for, uh, letting me, uh, co-host or guest host. I'm going to say guest host. You guest hosted. You, you, you drove this Cadillac and you got it safely into port. So thank you, Patrick. Absolutely. And if you're I, I think I mix metaphors. Yeah. Anyway, I love it. parking no, lot. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Uh, I, so if I, you're listening to this, I, go uh, go like uh, the podcast, go uh, reserve your copy of a book, uh, go follow everything that Rhea is doing. And uh, thanks for stopping by on this episode of the uh, Nonprofit Lowdown. I'm Patrick Kirby. Uh, this is fun as all get out. I appreciate you. Thank you, Patrick. And you did a fantastic job. Thanks to you. Uh-huh. Bye. Look, as someone who listens to the show, you know that I love helping small and medium-sized nonprofits. That's why we bring on the awesome experts and guests that get to talk to you about how to make your organization more awesome. So I've got a deal for you. I would like to help you. I would like to work with you. So if you go to dogooduniversity.com, that's dogooduniversity.com, and you register for one of the courses, I'm going to send you my best-selling book, Fundraise Awesome, or A Practical Guide to Staying Sane While Doing Good for Free, because I really want you to do amazing work. Listen, dogooduniversity.com, go pick out something, whether it's a board training or a gratitude training or whatever webinar you want to choose. Um, Use the promo code podcast, take 25% off of anything that you purchase, and I'm going to throw in a book as well because I want you to do awesome, I want you to do awesomer, and I want you to do good better. Go to dogooduniversity.com today. Hey, did you just have a meeting with a donor and they told you something really, really important and you have no place to put it except for like maybe an Excel spreadsheet or, I don't know, a random piece of paper in your office? 
go to DonorDoc.com. Get a CRM system that works. Get a donor database system that works. Get something that gives you beautiful reports and beautiful dashboards that even your crankiest board member will love. Go to DonorDoc.com. Use the code word "Do Good Better" at checkout and get a month free. DonorDoc.com. Choosing a partner to help you achieve success in your business or personal finances is a big decision. You need a devoted advisor who's experienced and attentive and invested in helping you accomplish your goals. Hey, you know what that sounds like? Brady Martz. Brady Martz knows that you've got a lot of options to choose from, but we're confident that Brady Martz is the right accounting firm for you. they got more than a half a century of experience making everyday count through tax, accounting, audit, and business advisory services. So contact Brady Martz to learn more about their unique solutions that they can provide you and your nonprofit.